hoping for some slides. Um, <laughs> that was a heartfelt cry, wasn't it? <coughs> Looks like the projector's reset in anyway. Um, this is the last in our Nailed It series. Uh, you could have gone and helped the kids. <laughs> what I'd like you to do, because in, in a fortnight's time we need to move on with a new sermon series. Now, I've, I've, I've written and preached somewhere between 60 and 75 sermon series in this church. And I want to make sure before we move on that we've got all those under our belt. Yeah, yeah? I, I don't want to skip on ahead in the class if there are some bits we need to go over and revise. So would you turn to the person next to you? And you know like in school where you kind of pass it to the person next to you to mark and then you swap them back? Any of you go to school? Remember that? You swap them over. So I want you kind of just to swap answers, just so we can all be confident together. We've got it all tucked under our belt and we're ready to move on. Go. Great. Okay. Let's uh, nail this one then for the, the last time. Nailed it. Three weeks ago, or whenever it was, um, I, I talked about the implications of the resurrection for our daily lives. Last week, last Sunday, we looked at the implications of the resurrection for our, uh, our death. Uh, and this morning, we're looking at the implications of the resurrection for our, um, our world. The resurrection has global consequence. Surprisingly enough, it's not just about you or me. We like to think sometimes that we are the center of the story, but we're not. There is a story, God's story, that is unfolding, and the resurrection has absolutely everything to do with that global story. And we called it Nailed It because there were so many things that Jesus nailed when he rose from the dead. So many things about our own uh, journeys, so many things about the things that are wrong in our lives, so many things about the, the, the difficulties and struggles that we have from a personal to a world to a universal sense. Jesus has nailed it. It was a fatal, fatal blow to death itself when Jesus rose from the dead. The whole of creation, the Bible tells us, is dying. You know that verse in Romans that would have magically come up on the screen now? About creation groaning. Do you know the one? Yeah, eagerly waiting, expectant, for the creation was subjected to frustration. I didn't do anything. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Jesus' resurrection was a knockout blow to death itself. When Jesus rose from the dead, the power of death and this whole world is dying. Wouldn't you agree? Everything is decaying. 
everything blooms and then decays and dies. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a knockout blow to death itself. It was as if, you know in a boxing match, when there is that one massive punch and the enemy, as it were, the opponent is lying lifeless in the ring and the people begin to count. One, two, three. He's not moving, he's not even flinching. Everyone knows it's over. It's just a question of time. Five, six... Seven, the noise gets louder, the crowd are going wild. Eight, nine, everybody knows with the next sound in the room, it's over because ten has been reached. We are living in the countdown. The knockout blow happened just outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and we are in the countdown and every number it gets louder and the universe groans a bit more and the expectation rises a bit higher till one day the whole of the universe when Jesus says will count ten and it'll be over because the knockout blow has already been Made, And that's why creation can wait, can groan, not hopelessly, not without expectancy, but with all hope and with all expectancy, longing to be liberated from death because death itself is dying. Decay itself has already been overcome. Do you live with the excitement And the reality that we are living in the countdown. That's the question. Do we live with the reality that we are living in the countdown? There are, in my mind, two types of Christians. And one is the product of the other. Because we don't want to be associated with the end of the world is nigh brigade who are always going on in fanciful detail and predicting this date and that, but keep getting it wrong. Do you know the kind of people that I mean? Who don't shut up about it? Because we don't want to be associated with them, we are in danger sometimes of losing, speaking honestly and hopefully and expectantly about this truth that is too big not for it to be large in our lives. You see, if Jesus had said, if you study the Bible carefully and constantly scan the earth for events that you think fit the descriptions you see in the Bible, then you will be able to predict when the end of the world will be. But that's how sometimes Christians behave. And it does my head in. Because let me let you into a secret... You do not know more about the end times than Jesus. And he said, no one will know. It will take you unawares. So always be prepared. And all the descriptions about this will happen and that will happen, we see them all the time. There'll be wars. There's always wars. There'll be this. There's always this. Because we always live in the now that one day the universe will reach the ten of the countdown. And then the end will come. Jehovah Witnesses and the cults get really excited about predicting the end of the world. 
if they come to you with the watchtower, for example, which is several times predicted the end of the world, incorrectly, if I needed to say that, ask them when they offer it to you whether you can explain why, whether they can explain to you why you should read it in the light of their failed predictions. It leads to interesting conversations. I still haven't forgiven the Jehovah Witness who knocked on our door since we were in Ipswich. I was writing a sermon. I looked like I'd come in from the fields. And the cheeky woman said, can I speak to the man of the house? (laughs) She was sorry. I am the man of the house. And let's have a chat. I'm over it now. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a more complex question to answer than talking to the Jehovah Witnesses about the theology of the end times. In some respects, Chris, I am still the man of the house. What those respects are, I'm still trying to find out. (laughs) Creation itself is groaning, and we with creation should long for his appearing. We should long for that moment when he comes. And that's what Paul writes, there's a store for me, the crown of righteousness, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, not only to me, but all of us who do what? Who long for his appearing. We are helped to live well if we long for it. You see, if a day is coming when justice will be restored, then working for justice suddenly takes on a hugely more significant meaning, don't you think? Because we're walking, we're working in tune with the king of the universe. If a day is coming when all suffering will end, then every time I, in some small way, help to relieve suffering, I'm aligning myself with what God's kingdom is doing. I'm motivated to work for God's kingdom as I pray, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth now as it is in heaven. And sometimes people talk about it being escapist. I'll tell you what's escapist. Escapist is all the dates and the waffling on that people do. It's not escapist to long for his appearing. It's about a reality of living with love and compassion. You cannot live with love and compassion and not long for his appearing. The more I get involved in people's sadnesses and struggles, the more I long for that day. The more hands I hold of people that are dying the more I long for the day when that won't happen anymore. If you get your hands dirty and your heart screwed up for the brokenness all around, we cannot say, well, maybe he'll come one day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. If those are on the front line of fighting injustice, will be those who most long for a new heaven and a new earth. 
You see, it's when we're comfortable, when we're sitting about enjoying what we've got, that we don't really care to hoot when he comes. Because I'm quite happy with the now. But it's those in the heat of the battle who most long for victory. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Those in the heat of the battle that most long for the victory. (laughs) Jeremiah, good old prophet. I didn't know him. He's in the Old Testament. (laughs) And he, he looks forward to a day. He says there's this amazing day coming. And this amazing day that's coming will be a day when everyone will know the Lord. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother about the kingdom of God, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. It's an amazing promise. Way back in the Old Testament, there was a man who was longing for the day when God's kingdom would be fully established. And that needs to be the longing of our hearts too. I guess we can sum it all up with a question about how strong our longing is. How strong is your longing? Michael Lloyd, who wrote a a book um, called Cafe Theology that I might have lent to someone because I can't find it. If I've lent it to you, may you feel guilty and overcome with remorse. And for all the books that you've lent me, they're in the back room, take whatever you like. Um, he, He writes, do we long for the appearing of Christ and the putting right of the world's wrongs? Or have we made our peace with the current compromised state of the world? Have we become so inured to the injustices of our world because our lifestyles are so dependent upon them that we harbour no hatred for them in our hearts? The amount that we long for the appearing of Christ is probably the amount we oppose evil. If we want to know how much compassion we have, we merely have to ask ourselves how much we long for the coming of the one who will heal all the hurts and bind up the broken hearts. The big idea is this. God wins. God wins. God wins over death. And that's the crux of it. But it leads to so many other things. All my stuff's frozen now, Mark, as well as yours probably, so we'll abandon all of that. And, and you help me at certain points now. Yeah? So um, God wins over death. That's a personal reality for us. That's it, leave it there. God wins over death. That's a personal reality for us. So that when I face the end of my life, there are things about how we might die that are not altogether great. But the reality is, we will have the victory over that death. That's the reality, isn't it? That's the hope. That's the assurance. That's the certainty. 
And not only a personal reality that we will be rescued, but that God will rescue his creation and create a new heaven and a new earth. Where, O oh death, Paul would say, is, is, is your sting? Where's the stench of death? Because in Christ we have the victory. So over death. Secondly, over the devil. Over the devil. Jesus came, why? To destroy the works of the evil one. And we see his works everywhere, don't we? Everywhere we see him undermining the truth about God and promoting the decay that that original lie first created. Over the devil. But there are so many other things that that flow out from that. For example, all the things that divide. God wins over all that divides. And there's this verse in Revelation that I think is in that slide pack, uh, Mark, uh, about at the end of time, Revelation chapter 21, that, that um, there will no longer be any sea. And you think, that's a bit sad. I quite like swimming in the sea. But I don't think it means that at all. In their culture... The sea was symbolic of something that divides. You know, if you were an island, the sea divided you. It cut you off from everything else. And what I think John's saying in creating this picture is that this new world will be a place where all the things that divide us will be taken away. Prejudice. Bitterness. Anger, resentment, discourse, racial hatred, maligning people, fear of others, shame. All these things divide us. And they will be no more. All that divides will be gone. Because God wins. And as soon as the devil entered the world and spoke to Eve, what did she do? She blamed it on someone else, and there was division straight away. Division between God, division between people. All that one day will be over. God wins over all that divides. Can you imagine it? No hard feelings, no hurt feelings, no misunderstandings, no critical spirits. No divorce, no death, no piles of rubbish or prisons of debris, no business trips or military call-ups, no sickness or weakness, no danger or hardships, no fires or famines or floods, no wars or refugee camps or ethnic cleansing, no racial or political or religious prejudice, no religion, nor poles, nor denominations, no class system or economic sanctions or human slavery. All of that's done away with in the new world that God's bringing. He wins over all that divides And he wins over all that's diseased. He will make everything new. Think of all the disease and all the destruction. And imagine as you look out in our world, it being recreated. So there are no scars of sin anymore, except the ones in his hands and in his side. There'll be no guilt 
There'll be no abuse. There'll be no shame. There'll be no disappointment, no regrets, no hurts. But everything, our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our psyches, our memories, past, present and future, will be whole and clean and pure and alive and unaffected and not screwed up, physically whole, emotionally well, financially, if that makes any sense in heaven, secure, relationally uh, alive, socially complete, spiritually energized. Imagine a world, no more hospitals, or death, or funerals, or grief, no more Zimmer frames, commodes, wheelchairs, and bed hoists. Just for the record, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> there, there'll be no more broken lives, broken dreams, no more mental illness, no more physical handicaps, no more muscular dystrophy, no more multiple sclerosis, no more blindness, deafness, disease or sickness, no more heart disease or Parkinson's or diabetes or arthritis or cataracts or paralysis, no more cancer, no more strokes, no more AIDS, no more heart disease, whatever else you want to add, no more. That's the deal. God wins over all that's diseased, and God wins over all that destroys. And so many of the things we've already mentioned destroy. But there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. Hey, no more guns in schools. No more bombs in cars. No more terrorists, missiles, and airstrikes. No more suicide bombers. And fiery infernos. No more earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, floods, riots, shootings. No more. God wins. God wins. In fact, God wins over everything. You don't in any way need to apologize, my lovely. Go with God's blessing. I'm grateful that the rest of them are staying. <laughs> you, have, you have a great time. God wins over everything. But his biggest win, his biggest win, is you. His biggest win is you. If you give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save those that are his, his people, from their sins. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It's all for you. You know the milk tray advert, the old one? Climbs across everywhere, climbs everything, does everything, all because he loves the lady. Yeah. On a cosmic scale, it's all for you. Incredible, isn't it? What, what's the longing in God's heart? As Hebrews put it, bringing many sons and daughters to glory.
That's the deal. That's the longing of God's heart for you. It's not just some abstract thing. God's going to wrap up the world and put everything right in a kind of, well, that puts it neatly in a box. No, it's for you. For you to be part of the kingdom of heaven. For you to be part of everything that he's making new. It's all for you. As it says at the end, so Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me his brothers and his sisters. It's all for you. As Jesus said to those disciples, that he might have said to all of us, if I go, I will come back. I will come back that I might take you, that you might be with me where I am. I think that slide's there somewhere. With me where I am. That's it. That's the longing as he wraps the whole thing up. It's about you and about me. So God wins and his biggest win, his biggest win is you. But some will lose. Some will lose. In all the celebration of what Jesus nailed on the cross and confirmed through his resurrection. Last slide, Mark. Some will lose. And the reason that it's like that is because Jesus is the superstar. Jesus is the hero. That verse in Colossians about him being the image of the invisible God. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or whatever else. Christ is above all. You know those verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following? Because it's, it's all about him. And so imagine back to the playground and you've got the football superstar. Do you know who the football superstar was in your playground? Question for the men in a minute. And it didn't matter about how good you were. If you were on their team, you knew that you would win. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so, all you needed to know was not how well you would play, not how gifted you were, not this, not that or the other, just am I on his team? Because if I'm on his team, we're going to win. And you know what happens in the school playground? Sometimes you think at the beginning of the game, no, no, it doesn't matter. We're, we're not on his team, but, but together we'll beat them. This time we'll show them. And halfway through the game, you realise that you're not winning because you're not on this chap's team. So midway through the game, you swap teams. That's what you did. Because it doesn't matter how, you just needed to win. That's what it's like. It's time to swap teams if you're on the wrong team. It's time to swap teams if you're on the wrong team. Because it doesn't matter how well you play in this life. It doesn't matter how successful you think you get it sorted out. There is only one winner. Because there's only one guy that came out of a Palestinian grave. You know, people line up all the religions and say, well, they're all different, different things talking about the same thing, essentially. No, they're not. 
No, they're not. Christianity says very clearly that the founder we follow came from heaven, has gone back to heaven and rose from the dead. No one else claims that in the whole of the world. It's totally different from every other faith group and religion. Join the winning team. And as we come to the end of this series, that in the end is all about Jesus. We've done nothing for this. He, he, he rose from the dead before we'd even opened our eyes as a baby. He did all this for us even before we gave him a second thought. The invitation today is to be on his team. Because do you know what the security of that is? You might be rubbish at football, but if you're on his team, you'll still win. I know football's a bit of a sore point this weekend. (laughs) Bad metaphor. It doesn't matter what you mess up in life, if you're on his team, you win. It's kind of weird, isn't it? not what they teach us but it's the gospel and what Jesus says what Jesus says is if you want to be on my team you are welcome all I ask is that you go with me and you travel with me and you might not be very good at this thing called life but you will be on the winning team I don't know where you're touched this morning in your heart. Many of us joined the team years ago, gone through several different versions of the team kit. Others of us have joined very recently. Some people in the playground join the team at the final whistle, almost. The trouble is, that's the message of Jesus coming is that we're in the countdown and we're never sure when it will be 10 but there is a moment when the whole of the universe at the command of Jesus the trumpet call the cry of 10 and what's already been done will be made perfect right before our eyes amazing thing isn't it And every day you read the newspaper and you turn on the television this chaotic, broken, hurting world that's spinning out of control. No. No. Because the fatal blow has already been struck. I'm going to remain quiet just for a minute or two. I just invite you to think about what, what do I think about what I'm hearing from God's word this morning? What's my response? What, in terms of what, what might I think? What might I do? What's God saying to me in these moments? Let's be quiet.